HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes it feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's March 13th, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. We've got some interesting guests tonight here in Beer Sessions Radio. First, we'll give a shout-out to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. GreatBrewers.com is your online connection to the world of craft beer, an on- online uh, attempt to uh, <laughs> teach people about beer. But, you know, let's jump in right now. we got Chris O'Leary. Mr. Blogger, say, say your name and say what you do, because there's too many people uh, here today. I'm Chris O'Leary. I'm the uh, editor of BrewYorkNewYork.com. And we got, we got Jim. Tell, tell him your name and what you do. I'm Jim Barnes, and I'm the New York City rep for Pretty Things Beer and Ale Project. And Jay? Yeah, my name is Jay Steinhauer. I'm the uh, head of sales for American Beer Distributing so here in Brooklyn. We've got a very cool bunch of guys. So you guys are going to jump in now and tell me, what, what do you guys do on the GreatBrewers.com website? Well, I, I like their uh, their Beer Cloud app, actually. It might be probably one of my favorite tools to use when I'm trying to figure out uh, what bear, beer to pair with what food. Even just style-wise, it's it's great for that. And do, where do you put it? On your iPhone? Yeah, on my iPhone. Well, that's great. It's a great app. Have you ever done anything with uh, thegreatbrews.com, Jay? No, not yet. I think they're kind of... Uh, we're we're not affiliated yet. I mean, you guys are hooked up with um, is it Union? You guys do a lot of the beer with <laughs> GreatBrewers.com. Anyways, they're, they're they're great. And uh, opinions across the board. We want to say thanks for sponsoring us, and also a shout out to the Good Beer Seal, GoodBeerSeal.com, Association of Thirty Four New York City Beer Bars. Well, here we are in the studio at Roberta's uh, Bushwick. Um, guys, what was your favorite beer this weekend, Chris? Uh, I uh, I. 
was very blessed to come across a bottle of the Bell's Batch 7000 this weekend um, by pure chance at uh, at Mugs Ale House during Split Thy Skull, their big beer festival. A couple people snuck in a few bottles of, of stuff that was in their cellar. And uh, there was half a bottle left just sitting on the ledge of the, of the bar. And I, I go to the, the guys who were clearly drinking it, and one was almost passed out. And I'm like are you going to drink this? <laughs> I'm not going to let good beer go to waste. So, uh, so that's a, that's a really good festival, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It, it really Jim, is. have you been to it before? Split those. Uh, yes, I have been to it before. In fact, when I first moved to New York, that was my, my, one of my first, uh, beer, uh, beer bar, uh, experiences was going out there back in 2007. So really enjoyable. What do you think about an, like a, an extreme beer fest? I mean, it, is that was that what beer's all about? <laughs> that's, a, that's a dangerous uh, precedent to set, though. So, serving a lot of really big beers, you know. I think I had a total of three. <laughs> well, have you been to uh, any extreme beer? Yeah, place? I'm friends with uh, Ed over at Mugs, and uh, yeah, I mean that's. I mean, it's the time of the year to drink big beer, right? It's supposed to be cold outside, even though it's <laughs> 70 degrees outside today. But this is the season for multi potent product. And Jay, you guys are, are the the small family run uh, beer distributorship in Brooklyn. American That's right. Beer. Um, what, do you have any uh, really good extreme beers right now? Let's see here. The uh, seasonals that we've gotten in lately. Uh, we're selling the uh, Avery Czar, which is their Russian Imperial Stout. That's pretty whopping. Uh, we got a little bit of the uh, Maharaja, which is their uh, Imperial IPA, which we're only going to get once this year. So it's coming and going. Um, those are some of the big dogs at the minute. Avery's probably, you know, a uh, huge line of uh, sessionable and high-potency beers. If you've ever visited out there, it's ridiculous when you go into their tasting room. Uh, there's items there. I mean, they probably have 40 lines up, and 20 of them you can never get outside of the brewery. So, yeah, it's one of their strong suits. All right. And, Jim, at Pretty Things, um, do you have anything coming out, anything special? Um, well, we uh, we've got uh, with us in the uh, in the studio uh, some of our uh, late winter seasonal. There wasn't much that was able to come down in New York, but there's still there's still uh, some of beer of it uh, popping around in different bottle shops and uh, on tap. Uh, there may even be some on tap this weekend at uh, Dram Bar, where I'm going to DJ at on Sunday between four and uh, eight. So we're calling it "I Dream of Dusseldorf." Um, Reason being, uh, this is a German-style beer. Um, this is a dark lager called Lovely St. Winifred, and it, uh, we, we basically did a decoction in the mash process, whereas you, whereas you take a portion of the mash uh, out of the kettle um, or the mash tun, uh, bring it to a boil, and put it back in to the mash tun to bring the mash temperature up. So it, it resulted in a really interesting, roasty, almost smoky flavor. So we'll we'll have some of that in a little bit uh, to sample around. So all right, let's pop it. Let's have some. All right, yeah. <laughs> sounds pretty interesting. Well, we're trying to we're, we're, we've got a, a main guest tonight, and we're trying to just kind of introduce everybody. Um, I'm sitting here with a copy of Beer for Dummies, and um, I'm laughing because it's Beer for Dummies. But I, I read it last night. And I have to say, uh, getting into the middle of it, there's some really good chapters. And we've got one of the authors, Steve Etlinger, here with us tonight. Steve, we're going to talk a little about what's in your book, and we're going to drink beer and uh, hang out a little bit. Sounds like a, a really good mix there. So tell us, how did you get involved uh, with the Beer for Dummies book? I know Marty Knackle, he's going to call in in a little bit, and we'll talk to him. 
Tell us how you guys got got started working on this book. It actually goes back to about 1995. Uh, I had wanted to do a book on beer because the uh, beer culture for uh, craft beers was just beginning then in the early 90s, and I was a book producer. Um, I contacted Marty because he was doing a newsletter for a beer of the month club called Beer Across America, and we did a little guide to uh, uh, breweries around the uh, country. And then I thought, excuse me, because I also worked on a book I had an idea for that turned out to be pretty popular called Wine for Dummies, so I convinced the uh, dummies people who had just started doing the non-computer dummies titles to do beer for dummies at the same time, and we, we recruited Marty to do it. Marty's the expert. I helped him put it into the dummies format. And uh, here we are, how many years later? From 19, came out in 96, and now we're doing a second edition. Well, I'll tell you, there's some things that really surprised me, like this, a really good extreme beer chapter. That's why we started talking about extreme beers. And what I liked about it was it went back to the basics. It, it started talking about uh, monastery-style Belgian beers. Maybe we should do a sequel called ex- uh, Beer for Extreme Dummies or Extreme <laughs> Beer for Dummies. I'm sorry. I got that. Extreme Beer for Dummies. Sorry. It might be good. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if anyone else in the room has read the book, but let's, let's, let's go <laughs> off on that theme. Let's try to have some. Is, does anyone here want to talk about extreme beers, in particular the, the great monastery Beers of Belgium, you know, Jay. Sure, I mean, I, I mean, it's a great, it's a great lead-in. I think uh, there are plenty of American beers that have been being produced right now that have been influenced by that huge uh, historical brewing culture over there, and it's full flavors. And uh, you know, I think it's it's interesting to see how we are now celebrating some of these beers that we could never have gotten here in this country for a long time. Now we're clamoring and chomping at the bit to get them here. I mean, West Veltron is supposed to be coming, right? Yep. All right. That's, I heard yeah. Shelton's bringing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, you know, so we're getting it. We're finally getting some more of the obscure, sought-after things into the country. But I think also on the flip side, if you want to bring it up, that it's interesting that, you know, this culture here in this country that's brewing all these beers and all the new breweries that are emerging are immersed in this kind of thinking. And what's going to be coming forward in the future is more beers inspired by lost historical style brews which is i think is fascinating you know and, the, and it pairs up with food fantastically and it's very interesting jim uh with pretty things tell us about the historical beers and who, who's the guy that that's uh helping you with the recipes ron pattinson from yeah England? yeah there's a there's a guy uh that is based in amsterdam he's actually english and he is obsessed with uh, beer history, uh, particularly in London. And so we had been working with him, and he, he, he and Dan had been uh, talking back and forth for quite a while before this whole historical beer thing came about with us with Once Upon a Time. And he, he more or less convinced us to, um, to start brewing these beers, these old brew sheets, and they're dated brew sheets. And they're basically the brewer's original notes on, you know, uh, everything from, you know, water measurements for liquoring in to temperature, all that stuff. So we basically reformulated those for obviously smaller uh, brew houses and started brewing these beers that hadn't been brewed for years. Um, So we, as of yet, we did a a beer from 1832, which was a mild. Uh, We did a um, a KK beer, uh, which is basically a very dark, hoppy uh, beer. Um, That was terrific. So what was that, like a 1900 style? Yeah, that was from 1901, so turn of the century Edwardian period. Um, So they they did these classifications uh, with single X, double X, triple X quadruple x and same with the k so 
you know, that gets them, you, know, you start walking on eggshells with the, the K's. So we stopped at the second K, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Smart and, marketing move. <laughs> exactly. You'll get into a K-hole. <laughs> I know, in a big way. But um, th- this next beer we're doing, um, I believe they're single X beers. Um from Barclay Perkins. Uh, what we decided to do was do two at once. And we're going to be launching those beers tomorrow in Boston at the Public House in Brookline. And Ron Pattinson's coming over for that. And so this one brewery that he loves to talk about, Barclay Perkins, which doesn't exist anymore, um, they brewed uh, basically a single X beer in 1838. And they brewed that same beer, a single X beer, in 1945. They're two completely separate different beers. One is a paler, uh, hoppy ale, about 7, 7.5%. And then the one from 1945 is basically the prototype for the Dark Mild, which is a dark beer, dark beer at 2.9%. At, uh, so we're bringing those both out at once to drink side by side. So um, we're going to be all dressed in either uh, 1838 costumes or, you know, 1945. So I was going to say that's the most modern costume you, you'll you'll I've seen you wear if you go with the 1945 one. <laughs> I know. Well, luckily, my girlfriend uh, Jerry, she is a, a Lindy Hop dancer, so she's helped me sort of uh, develop a uh, a. a a, uh, an outfit. Jim is so, definitely the snappiest dresser on the New York City beer scene. <laughs> wow. Where's the party tomorrow in, in Boston? It's in, it's in Brookline at one of our favorite uh, beer bars, uh, Public House. Um, it's basically it, it's two bars rolled up in one. You have the Public House and then you have the Monk Cell, which is uh, an add-on. Uh, this guy, David Ciccolo, that used to brew with... Um, oh, why is... Uh, I, I always do that. Now, uh, Tremont Brewing Company in uh, Charleston, uh, uh, Massachusetts there, um, uh, he was brewing there for a while and then decided to open up a Belgian beer bar in the Brookline neighborhood of Boston. So it's been a big success, and it's been a, it's been a favorite bar of mine since I've been living there. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's neat to be able to come back there and, and do this event. You know, uh, Ron Pattinson, who we're talking about, so he, mm-hmm. he also writes for Beer Advocate. Um, yeah, Sometimes. he does. Is it, is it regularly or is it just occasionally? Um, I think it's more occasionally as he's able to, to put stuff together. But, yeah, he's done, I think, at least two, three articles so far for Beer Advocate. Chris, have you come, have you kept up with uh, Ron Pattinson and what yeah. he's doing? And I really like the historical stuff that that he's he's been doing because it's just it's phenomenal to to drink beer as it was meant to be consumed long ago, and I think that that's that's caught on in many different ways. I mean, I brought a beer today um, from Star Hill, the Monticello Monticello Reserve. Let's crack that. Let's open is, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is also a, it's it's based on a beer style um, that was consumed at Monticello by Thomas Jefferson um, back in you know the seventeen eighteen hundreds. So um, it's it it's really I'm really glad that people are appreciating beers past. As much as beers present, you know, like we talk about extreme beers all the time and how everyone's going for the, you know, what's the biggest, you know, can we do a 12%? Can we do a 15% beer? And, and that's what American beer culture has, has become. But, you know, it's important to remember the roots of American beer culture, too. Chris, on your site, uh, Brew York, New York, correct? Mm-hmm. Brew York, New York. 
Um, I know you have a list, a, bl- a blog roll of uh, beer-related blogs. Mm-hmm. Would you post uh, Ron Pattinson's blog? Because oh, I yeah. always, I can never remember what it is. Yeah, yeah. And I always I'll, go to your I'll, blog I'll and yeah, I yeah. always scroll through. That would be yeah, my, my blog roll needs some updating. So <laughs> thanks for the reminder. One. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Dan, the name of his blog is called "Shut Up About Barkley Perkins." Yes. <laughs> Sorry, it's yeah, it's chock full of fun stuff. Dot com. Yeah, um, I actually, I think it's Blogspot. I think it's on Blogspot. I'm not yeah, sure, it's a it's a Blogspot blog. Yeah. Well, this this uh, beer for dummies book, we're having a lot of fun already. I read it last night, and 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 you know, it starts out. It's it's got a really good overview. You know, of everything you know about beer, but we all know about beer. But then, like the chapters are really good, and the, I really like this extreme beer chapter. The other chapter I really like is the one about uh, dining with beer. And Steve, that's that's one of your uh, favorites, isn't it? Beer and food pairings. Food pairings, but more importantly, cooking with beer, I absolutely uh, love. And um, it, there's one recipe that's in the book that's to die for. It's the chocolate stout silk pie, which I call my fundraiser pie. I've been making it for school fundraisers for about 20 years now. And um, if I'm not allowed into a parent meeting without that pie. The kids <laughs> love it. The kids love it, yes. It is, it's a lot of fun to make. It's really easy. And um, the gelatin source is 24 marshmallows, which you have to count. And I had my kids when they were little counting them. Now, of course, they're, my kids are older. They're making them. And a bag of chocolate chips. I mean, it's not hard. There's a little bit of a third of a cup of, uh, or two-thirds of a cup of uh, stout. In, in my case, it has to be stout. And um, a third of a cup of, uh, of uh, condensed milk, a little vanilla, a little salt, and it all goes in the blender. The liquids go in hot. They melt the other things. You blend it for a minute, pour it into a pie shell, and you have to wait to eat it till it gels. You know what we're gonna have to do? We're gonna have to do a night in the spring at, at Jimmy's Number Forty Three. With there you go. We're gonna have some pretty things. They'll bring their new historical beers, and we'll we'll make some of your favorite dishes. All right. All right. Guess what? The other part of Beer for Dummies, uh, Marty Nackel, he's gonna be on with us in a minute. We'll take a short break on Beer Sessions Radio. The minute you walked in the joint. I could see you were a man of distinction, a real big spender. Good looking, so refined. Say, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? So let me get right to the point. I don't pop my cork for every guy I see. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. We have the, the New York City cool beer guys here tonight. Guys, go ahead and say your names again. Go ahead, because I can't uh, remember. Chris O'Leary uh, from BrewYorkNewYork.com. Jim Barnes from Pretty Things Beer and Ale Project. Steve Etlinger, co-author of Beer for Dummies. I'm Jay Steinhauer from American Beer Distributing. All right. Well, we've been talking about things inspired by the Beer for Dummies book, which is actually really good. And uh, it's Marty... What do you mean, actually? <laughs> well, you know, the title is, you know, it's... it's. Uh, I'm dumb, passing beer over here. <laughs> I haven't really read many of the Four Dummies series, I must say. 
I mean, I'm used to saying things like Microsoft for dummies. I, yeah, I think right. the only start one a bar I ever, for dummies. The only one yeah. I ever owned was HTML for dummies. Like, <laughs> like original HTML. Like we're talking like you know ninety six, ninety seven. So did it work? Uh, I can still code today in HTML. So <laughs> there you go. And I can drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, which other uh, four dummies books have you? co-authored or produced? Well, I produced uh, Wine for Dummies, which means that I had the idea and I recruited the writers who had not done a book before, um, and they had the nerve to be real successful and go on and do about a dozen derivative titles, California Wine for Dummies, French Wine for Dummies, Red Wine for Dummies. It goes on and on. It sold, in the, in the aggregate, over a million copies. Wow. And besides Wine for Dummies and Beer for Dummies, tell us more, because this is fun. <laughs> well, I've uh, actually, Beer for Dummies sort of influenced me to, to pay attention to ingredients. I was doing uh, guidebooks to ethnic restaurants and so forth, and always wondering about the natural ingredients, uh, writing about them. And then one day I said, you know, what about polysorbate 60? Is there like a, a Bordeaux for, well, you know, got Bordeaux for Bordeaux wine grapes? Is there a Bordeaux <laughs> for polysorbate 60? That translated after like five years uh, into a book called Twinkie Deconstructed, which came out a few years ago, where I traced down all the ingredients in Twinkies and went to see the um, equivalent of the vineyard for polysorbate 60 and right. sodium hey, carbonate. Uh, <laughs> we're waiting for your co-author. Is Marty on the air, Jack? I am here. Hi, Marty, tell us how, how to pronounce your name. Uh, Nachel rhymes with Rachel. Marty Nachel. Well, you're a cool guy. Um, I'm, I'm gonna let, He's very cool. I'm going to let <laughs> Steve give you an introduction. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Marty Nachel is a serious beer expert who uh, also is a fabulous home brewer, even had a home brewing shop. He's a, a beer judge. He's been a professional beer taster, which is what I want to be when I grow up. And uh, he was writing the newsletter for a Beer of the Month Club for many years. He's co-authored. He's written a, a number of books, including Homebrewing for Dummies and, of course, Beer for Dummies. All right, Marty. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, oh, he lives near Chicago. Yeah, I was going to ask, where is, where, where is this voice we're hearing yeah, right. from? That's what I was too. <laughs> so, Marty, I'm in the, yes, sorry, go ahead. you guys wrote a book called Beer for Dummies in 1996. What yeah, prompted sure. you to write a book about beer? Uh, it's what I know, <laughs> more than anything else. Um, when the opportunity came up, I jumped. Boy, I couldn't jump fast enough. Um, it's what I really, not only did I want to do it, but I really did think that the the market needed it back then because the, uh, the American craft brewing industry was just getting up to speed back about 96. Um, so, yeah, I was more than happy to uh, be a part of it. That's great, man. Well, you're a really interesting guy. Um, I really enjoyed reading the book, and... Uh, I feel like that you you've may have changed some things since you first wrote it uh, back in '96. What are the major changes from uh, 1996 to 2012 in your book? Uh, the major changes is the one section that is all new, and in fact, you've already touched on it. The uh, the chapters on extreme beer, on uh, barrel aged beer, on real ale, and about um, gluten free and kosher and organic beers. So that's all new stuff. Yeah, I found it really fresh because it's like, you know, there's a lot of books about, you know, how to make beer and, and origins of beer. And it's, it's true. When I got to the middle section, I was like, wow. I stayed up late last night and I read it. Do you hear that? He, he, he <laughs> you got him staying up late reading the book. He couldn't put it down. With a beer. <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 good to have a, a book that I can look forward to reading. You know, you, you know and it's great. I think those, those sections, um, especially... You know, as as someone who hosts beer tastings on the side, sometimes I get questions about organic beer, questions about 
uh, gluten-free beer questions about kosher beer too i do some tastings at 92y and that's actually a question that always comes up and it's great because this is a type of book that is i mean it's entry level but it's comprehensive too so when those questions come up um you know for someone who's just trying to get into craft beer and they're like can i find a beer that that that's organic can i find a beer that's kosher you know you answer those questions which is phenomenal that's great. Marty, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. So uh, when did you first uh, drink your first beer and or make your first beer? Uh, when did I drink my first? <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, play well, the fifth, I Marty. Legal, I can tell you that. Uh, actually, the state of Illinois, back when, uh, back when I was about uh, legal age, was the legal age was 19. So I started a year or two early. Um, of course, now I'm 21, but uh, uh, nevertheless, I started brewing my in 1985, so I was uh, about 27 at the time. And then you just took it from there, right? I mean, you've uh, you're really a, you're really an amazing guy. I mean, I keep looking at the book, and everybody's going to get it. It's just called Beer for Dummies. Um, one of the one of the areas you talked about uh, is like this guild of people that take care of beer, and the one that I noticed was the Ale Connors. Um, Correct. How, is that just like an uh, interest of yours, or, you know, tell us more about this Ale Connors thing. Um, well, uh, it's the name, well, I, I came across it many, many, many years ago, and I was always intrigued by it. You guys were talking about beer history just a little while ago, and I'm very interested in beer history as well. And when I first learned of the Ale Connors, there's a, a nifty little story that goes with it, uh, but I, I chose to use that uh, name for my, my consulting service. And it's kind of stuck. So, you know, whatever I, you know, my business card says Al Connor, my website says Al Connor. That's basically what I just refer to myself and my service as. Excellent. Steve, good. give us a little more background because uh, there's some really just really cool tidbits in here. And uh, I'm going to read it again because. Well, that's great wow. to hear. Well, you know, when you do a reference book like that, you, you of course, you want to, uh, the dummies format is, is what contributes to making it easy to understand. But my job uh, is largely to ask questions, to wonder. And I'm, I'm a pretty good uh, person to do that because I'm, I'm a completely befuddled consumer. So I want to know, w- what are all those terms you guys are throwing around? And once there's any time there's a term that uh, Marty or any other person like you guys today w- would uh, put out, I, I'll write it down, I'll check it out, I'll say, hey, Marty, can you put that in there? Um, I want to know what does it mean and if it's important. And if it's not important, I want to know that too. Uh, the other thing is... Um, we have an obligation to sort of teach, like the history of beer. It was so interesting to come. Uh, Marty did this incredible research on, on historical moments. It goes back so far. For me, it, it uh, opened up a whole new world. because I, I wasn't uh, real familiar with the world of beer when I started on this book. In fact, I had to do a lot of research, a real lot of research. A beer almost every day. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to read this because... Uh Marty, you've done a lot of research. Okay. One of the oldest public offices in England is that of the Ale Connor, or Taster, a post created by William the Conqueror in the 11th century in order to keep ale prices and quality in line. Not only was the Ale Connor an expert judge of beer, but he had the power to condemn a batch of beer or order its sale at a reduced price if it didn't meet his high standards. 
This token, token civil position still exists in England. I have that job now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was going to say I one of my biggest campaigns on my site has been about the you know the marking up of beer and the overpricing of beer. I feel like I fall right into that category too. Sure. Th- that should go on my business card as well. <laughs> but, t- uh, Chris, tell Marty what wh- what you've been writing about. So I, I mean, so last year, well, here's the funny like I I'm. I am a purist, I think, when it comes to a lot of things about beer. And, for example, last year on my site, I basically took up a whole campaign where um, it, it happened to be that every bar in New York City was calling them their backyard a beer garden. And I'm like, well, just because you have a few tables and a concrete patio doesn't make you a beer garden. <laughs> if you understand the origins of the beer garden, then you would know that you at least need vegetation and communal seating. And it needs to be outdoors, which, believe it or not, they were passing off places as indoor beer gardens. So. You're, you're becoming kind of a watchdog, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you're worried about beer gardens. You've actually been following um, some of the laws in New York State. Yeah, th- I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff going on. In fact, today I posted about uh, the farm brewery bill that's, uh, that's uh, mm-hmm. up in Albany right now, um, trying to get uh, more brewers to use local products in their beer and local ingredients in their beer. But it's a huge challenge because... Because, I mean, there's 25 acres of hop farms in all of New York State right now. Right. Uh, one 15,000-barrel brewery could utilize more than half of that yield if yeah. it yields a good enough crop. I just read that bill, too. Yeah. And uh, it's almost like there's a projection, like you're supposed to over a course of years up the ante about how much you're actually producing on-site to put into your own product to qualify as a farm brewery exactly that was a scary thing actually in massachusetts sure. uh, oh yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah i think it was the treasurer there that was like trying to uh enact this like farm brewers uh manufacturer brewers bill and it would have killed well the businesses for so many brewers what happened is they had a farm brewers law and then no one was enforcing it so every brewer applied for a farm brewer's license because it was so much cheaper, including then, Sam Adams. Exactly, oh and my. then when they and then when they tried <laughs> to enforce food. it, um, there came the problem. In fact, I cite in in my article today about the New York bill. I cite Mercury Brewing up in uh, Ipswich, Massachusetts, which uh, when they said, "Oh, well, now the farm brewer's license will force me to have fifty percent of my grain be from Massachusetts," I would need. Uh, 1,200 acres to do that. I mean, Valley Malt, which is the largest malt house in the Northeast, only has about three dozen acres of grain <laughs> grain being grown. So um, it, it's it's a very promising concept, the farm brewer concept. But um, in practice, there are going to be a lot of challenges. Well, if it ever comes to be, it'll be a bunch of small businesses thriving it, in this exactly. country, manufacturing something on a small scale for small regional consumption, and that's a good thing. And it'll help local farmers. So this yeah. is what the ill corner to do. Hold on a second. We're no, gonna no gonna worries. We'll be back in a minute. Marty, <laughs> no stay worries. on the line with us. We're going to take a short break on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Well, she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind I'd like to flaunt and take to dinner. She always knows her place She's got style, she's got grace She's a winner She's a lady Oh, 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 she's a lady Talking about that little lady And the lady is 
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Here we are at Roberta's in Bushwick, celebrating Heritage Radio Network. Uh, many of the hosts uh, have reached 100 shows, including us, and next Wednesday at Santos Party House in downtown Manhattan. It's going to be an awesome party. A lot of artisanal spirits, craft beer, wine, a chocolate table, cheeses from Jasper Hill, and some other chef foods. It's going to be awesome. Go to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You can buy your ticket. Supports the, the network, and uh, we're all here because of HeritageRadioNetwork.com. So we've got Marty and Steve from Beer for Dummies on the air. And uh, Marty, the, the thing from your book that's, that's most impressed me is your section on watchdogs of beer over history and this Ale Connor concept. So Jay uh, from American Beer, he says that he's an Ale Connor. I would say I have to be because you know we're taking beer from small breweries from around the country and then putting it into market. So like if there's an issue, we have to nip it in the bud, you know, before we uh, put it out there and have everybody else complain about it. So in that sense, you know, we're very critical about the breweries we want to work with. We only want small little guys that meet our criteria, and then we only want to put it into independent accounts throughout New York City because. We're a small business, and our breweries that we work with are small business, and our accounts are small business, and that's it. We don't make $300 million a year. Marty, are you still on the air? I am. Okay. Uh, with Steve, tell me, tell me why you were so inspired by this Ale Connor concept, and, and you went ahead and you, you founded some type of uh, organization about Ale Connors, right? Did you? <laughs> well, you're a consulting firm. Um, I have to say, I was impressed too. I didn't know you could care so much, and it's a is, uh, Marty. Would you say it's equivalent to the um, guilds that surround wine um, knowledge, like the sommeliers and, and and so forth, and the wine, um, you know, the wine experts guilds. Being Sorry, who's, the, who's the question directed to? You, you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, well, actually, I'm sure you guys have heard of the Cicerone program. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, actually that. more directly related to uh, the beer sommelier. Um, I guess you could say that, in a sense, the uh, the Cicerone is the modern-day version of an Ale Connor. But, uh, of course, uh, when I chose the name back in 93, Cicerone didn't exist. So, uh, and what, what, what is the Ale Connor program, or what was it? Oh, it's just the name of my consulting firm. It's just oh, uh, it. whatever. I, I do a lot of tastings around Chicago. I, I help... Uh, Plant festivals and uh, beer and food. Uh, and you have a dinners. beer. You have a beer certification uh, thing though going on on the web, don't you? I have that as well. Um, it's uh, well. Since I brought up Cicerone, I should just mention that it, it's similar to Cicerone in that there's an online certification test you can take, but but no affiliation with Cicerone whatsoever. So you're the Ale Connor. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> so. What places do you like in Chicago? Where where could I get a good beer tonight? I'm sorry, the phone was breaking up. Sorry, man. Is there a place you can recommend in Chicago where I could get a good beer tonight? My God, there are numerous places. <laughs> where would you go if I picked you up right now and drove you in town? Uh, well, I'd go to one of the many brew pubs that have now sprung up all over the place. 
Uh, one of my favorites is Haymarket, and there's also Revolution. Uh, two of the two of the more popular ones in Chicago. Yeah, I met Re- the guys from Revolution in October. Their beer was really tasty. Oh, they were really nice people. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, that's uh, Ray Daniels, uh, his part owner. He's oh, the yeah. uh, the, oh, the gentleman who put together uh, Cicerone. I'm always impressed when whenever I go to Chicago that um, that even local beer is is just so reasonably priced too. In fact, I, I picked up a, a copy of. Don't ask me how I get this, but I have a copy of Time Out Chicago uh, <laughs> in my uh, in my possession, and uh, you know a pint of you know your local craft beer can run three seventy five to five dollars, whereas here. We're paying so much more, so it's so much more accessible in Chicago, and I think that's 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 why I enjoy going to Chicago and enjoying the beer there, so the local beer there so much. I, I would have to agree with that. The Chicago is pretty reasonable in uh, comparison to other cities, I suppose. But even Chicagoans will will uh, complain about the prices on occasion. I would <laughs> say the average pint price is probably about five dollars. Yeah, on average. Uh, Marty, are there remnants of the old brewing, the German brewing culture in Chicago? Uh, no, it's pretty much obliterated now. We still have German neighborhoods, and you'll find the occasional German bar. But, uh, no, as far as the, the German, Germanic heritage here in the city, no, it's pretty much gone. What about the historical, uh, I mean, the, the drinking heritage there? I mean, people think of <laughs> Chicago as a drinking town, and I, I've always been impressed by the number of, you know, neighborhood bars there. And, and uh, you know, I know they're probably, you know, best known for drinking a little bit more swill, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is true. But, I mean, does does that, has has that changed? I mean, is it are, is craft beer having an influence on that culture? Um... I think as far as the influence, I think the craft beer industry in Chicago is really only influencing the younger, uh, uh, more professional crowd. Uh, I don't think it's influencing the um, the various ethnic, uh, the various ethnicities. We still do have our uh, segregated neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and they do stick to old ways. I mean, we, ha- we have a lot of uh, a very large Polish uh, people, uh, a number of Polish people living in the city. We have a large number of Hispanics. We have a lot of Czechs. Uh, and yes, they cling to their old ways and their old uh, beers. But um, no, I don't think they're very much affected by the craft. So, community. is there any craft breweries out there that are featuring Germanic style beers that they're producing, though? Uh, that are that are craft? No, no. that's no, kind of amazing. Unfortunately, not. I know people in towns like Pittsburgh, where there's a huge Polish German population, and that's what they. You know, it's a blue-collar town, but there mm-hmm. are craft breweries out there. It's still big on the East Coast. I mean, you look at a company like a Victory, and they're making, a, you know, they make their bread and butter off of Pilsner, and that's... Look at yeah. Penn pen Brewing. So, that's so who I'm talking yeah, about, yeah, indirectly, yeah. sure. Yeah. So are the Chicago brewers all hipsters? Are they, like, young? Do they shave? <laughs> <laughs> no brewers shave. We, we know that by now. <laughs> They I mean, they can they shave? They do all have beards, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we should we come out for? I think we should go out for Chicago Craft Beer Week. I'm on. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I think you should. What's the date on that? <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> Chicago Talking sounds late. fun. Let's red eye it. <laughs> well, listen, Mar- Marty. I am so happy to talk to you and you and Steve and Beer for Dummies. The second edition is really great, and there's a lot of really good information in there. And uh, we're going to go back on, on a, a side note here, Jay. Again. The uh, small New York City beer distributor. Well, I want to take two seconds to talk about the beer we're drinking currently. Uh, we just started up a great new little brewery uh, out of Carton, called Carton Brewing. They're out of Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. 
They've been open about nine months, so I brought two beers here today for us to sample. One is the Boat Beer, which everybody has in their glass at the moment, which is a Session Ale. It's 4.2%, so it's pretty easy drinking, but they designed it to be a session sessionable ale for IPA lovers. So that beer you have in between those 7-8% IPAs and you want to cleanse the pal a little bit, that is the go-to. This is going to be a crusher for the summer. Can, can I add that uh, we have a bunch of beers here to sample? Sure. This one, everybody's pouring seconds on. Yes, <laughs> noted. It's fresh. Now, I it's feel like delicious. The only one who's not, can I? Can can you pass? Pass it, it on. Polish it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I brought two beers from them. The other one is called Brunch Dinner Grub, and that is basically they're calling it a country ale. It's essentially an extremely light-bodied brown that's herbaceous, citrusy, uh, designed to be extremely food friendly. It's six percent alcohol. These guys are are the next. I mean, we did Captain Lawrence was pretty much the last little brewery that we blew up in the vicinity, and. Uh, you know, Carton has the same kind of quality point on the beer that they're making, in my opinion, and that's why we signed them up. And they're 25 miles from where we're sitting right now. Yeah. So, as as the bird flies, is that, yeah, is that closer than Chicago? I think I think I think it's closer than Rochester or Syracuse or it's Buffalo or rest of the New York State area, close to. And Canada. there's a ferry that just zips you right yeah, over there, exactly. right? Yeah, that's, exactly. Yes. That's one thing. I, I, yeah, you can get I'm over gonna, there and flash. On my, on my site, I'm eventually going... I, I've been doing these kind of extreme uh, bar crawls or brewery crawls. Uh, for example, back in December, we went to all three barcades in one sure, day. that's fun. Philadelphia, yeah. Jersey City, and New York. Uh, the, the next one we're going to do is we're going to go out to Atlantic Highlands and uh, go to both Carton and to Kane as well. Kane is and, the other guy. Yeah, the, they're right down the street. It's, it's it's pretty cool to see that the New Jersey beer scene is really pumping out some great beer. It's great you're talking about that bar crawl, though, because I think the inspiration for the name of the boat beer is the boat you're going to ride over there on. <laughs> and Perfect. It's two cousins uh, that are last name Carton that started up this company, and they're both you know working Jay, in Manhattan. Do, do they have their own brewery? Yeah, they got their own brewery. brewery. It's not a contract brewery. I mean, they have their own facility. Uh, I think they have a 30-barrel system, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they have a nice little tasting room, nice little tour. Uh, we've gotten two styles out of them. I think the second one is being delivered as we speak right now. And then, uh, are you selling it in New York City? Right? Yeah, no, I yeah. do. I got beer to start selling on Friday, so it's brand new to market. So where are we going to be able to find it? Well, let's see here. I mean, Roberta should get hip to it if you know if they want to <laughs> stick to their guns um, <laughs> and give us some of their lines. Uh, uh, where have I sold it into so far? Uh, places like Browery Lane. Uh, Brooklyn Beer Merchants. Cool. Um, all great bars. I think, uh, no, I mean, it's, I have a lot of interest right now. It's going to be in places like Sweetwater and Pies and Thighs. It's obviously on an American beer. There are growlers <laughs> for $10 a pop, 24-7. Uh, that's beautiful. Um, and, and the like. You guys, have, you guys have really put out some great, have, have really propped up some great local brewers. I mean, Crossroads is another one that I'm just, their Outrage IPA. It's outrageously hands awesome. Down my, it was hands down my favorite local beer of 2011. Yeah, it's fantastic. And we've gotten so little of it, though. I mean, yeah, we literally I get like 16 kegs a month. So when these people come clamoring for it, we, you know, we got to make sure we take care of them and vice versa. But well, uh, that's I how you know say, it's fresh. It's too, when you buy you know? my whole portfolio, you get some of that. You know, beer. when uh, when <laughs> Beer for Dummies first came out in 1996, I would say the biggest change is, is now it's like every month we're on, there's some new beer that's locally made yeah. from mm-hmm. everyone's region that's coming into the market. And, and this yeah. is like the golden age of beer. It's it exciting. Really I, I, I'd like to address that for a moment about the golden age. There's something I saw that stopped me in my tracks. It really marked that we'd, we'd, I knew we'd crossed a threshold. 
that beer, that craft beer in particular, and beer appreciation had developed to a point that we never imagined years ago. And that's because you can get a growler filled at a drugstore in Manhattan called yep. Dwayne Reed. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can go in and get Q-tips, toothpaste, and a growler of craft beer. Well, they give you a growler of Blue Moon in there. <laughs> that just blew my mind when I saw that. And I, I think that means, like, okay, beer is here. Yeah. And I think that's that's what changed between when the first edition came out and when this edition came out. I Absolutely. Mean, we we talked Shit, a lot right? about. I mean, we, we talk a lot about the bubble having burst a little bit in craft beer in the in the mid to late nineties, um, and now it's that was on a comeback pubs. again. That yeah, was it was pubs. really brew pubs. Sure, those are places I mean, really that are trying to run restaurants, right, not right. people trying to do production. No, it, exactly. But you know what? What we've noticed is that people are getting nervous about the bubble bursting, and you know our numbers are far. Above what they were in the late nineties, what what makes me a little less nervous about it is that the focus has been left less on craft beer in general and almost more on local beer. It's more the whole locavore movement just as a whole has helped prop up local beer. People it's disgustingly trendy, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, there are plenty of people riding on the coattails. Oh, of that, no, exactly. of that thinking, right? Exactly. They actually have no care about what that really is. Hey, I've got a, I've got a, a, a bad question for you. <laughs> I got a bad answer. <laughs> okay. uh, presumably, eating local is cool, but is local beer is drinking a locally produced beer uh, better from a culinary point of view than one that's produced, say, out of state or across the country? I think freshness, but then also you're talking about a pure marketing standpoint, and that's that. I mean, you no, want to say local, and that'll sell. And a lot of stuff that's marketed as local isn't even made locally. It's True. contracted hundreds of miles away. And meanwhile, there's a company that's 100 miles from here in a different state. Mind you, it's not New York, so it doesn't say New York on it. But on the other hand, that's more local than something that's being pushed as brewed right around the corner mm -hmm. and being, you know, the wool's pulled over the eyes of the consumers. But from a taste or quality, uh, Freshness. a physical quality point of view, is something from, say, Colorado or Illinois going to be uh, uh, really... Uh, not, no. as, not as good as the one no. from New York? I don't think so. We pick up beer and have it here in two days. Yeah. So I may mean, have beer made three days ago from Colorado here. Yeah. Done. I mean, so if, if freshness is the overriding if you, issue, if it's going to sit somewhere. But other than that, no. I mean, I, I strongly believe American-made is local enough, and that's that. Yeah. I mean, we're, make, we're, we're talking about small businesses in this country offering manufacturing jobs in a small business setting. And who gives a shit if it comes from... 150 miles away or 350 miles away. I mean, it doesn't really matter one I, way or another. It's quality over quantity or, or locality. Excuse me, it's quality over locality. I'm going to take issue with you. That was a good answer, not a bad answer. Yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got some bad opinions though. <laughs> that, was, that was the question I was going to ask too yeah. with Marty is um, this whole issue of like uh, you know in, in relation to the the ale uh, ale counter about you know just so many brewers just coming up. Uh, you know, nano brewers, uh, you know, small production, regional brewers, and the issue of just like, you know, being able to say, well, yeah, there, there's well-made beer and there may not be some well-made beer out there, uh, no matter how good the intention. I don't know. Um, just what, what, are, what are your thoughts about that? Like, there's so many brewers out there uh, just coming up that are producing beer for the commercial market. On various levels, some small as small as like five barrels or a single barrel brewing system to thirty barrels. I think the market responds. If it's good, it's good. I mean, forget like mm -hmm. the whole online you know rating forum. If it yeah. sells, it sells. And if if 
the problem would oh, be for true. these little breweries if you send it far away and it's not fresh when it gets there and it's not at peak at peak consumption then there's a problem and then people would say i don't know it's not that good well it's like if it's closer to the source and ask a consumer closer to the source then it's that's i mean it's up to the business people that are running these breweries what their model's going to be and how far do you want to go do you want to sell it all over the country you want to sell it in your backyard I and guess. more importantly if it tastes good drink it that's yeah. that's the most important thing when in rome and it's yeah, awesome exactly. get it exactly well we, we can go deeper into that because there's i i've i've enjoyed drinking some beers and i have this thing called the hangover quotient <laughs> and there's certain beers i feel like they're really well made naturally made with the best ingredients i don't have a bad hangover yeah and true. uh john siegel who's a, a big hops guy always calls me on it but we have, this is a lot we have a lot more conversations to come out of this um i'm gonna have to say that we're gonna have to uh sign off soon i'm gonna shout out to some events uh our home here, Heritage Radio Network, is going to have a big party next Wednesday, and Beer Sessions Radio will be celebrating our 100th uh, episode, along with many of the other hosts on this network. It's amazing. There's spirits, craft beer, and really great food. Check it out. It's uh, heritageradionetwork.com. Party's next Wednesday, March 21st. Other good beer seal bar events. Uh, the Dude to CL guys from Montreal, I would say talking about quality brewers, Real small brewers yeah. doing a great thing. Yes. They're coming to New York this weekend. I'm psyched uh, about Saturday that. they're going to be at Jimmy's number 43 in the afternoon for a meet and greet and a small beer dinner at 6 o'clock. And on Sunday at 12 o'clock at Spite and Dival, who's the the ideal good brew seal bar. And if you, the weather's nice, yeah. you'll be able so to So if you want to be an ale yeah, really, yeah, that'd be great. And, and you really care about who's picking your beer, check out the goodbrewseal.com oh, bars yeah. because you know what? They are the ale conners of our age. <laughs> and uh, Barrier Brewing a Night is uh, March 20th at Mission Delivery. Dolores in Brooklyn, another mm. great good beer seal bar. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Beer Sessions Radio is supported by thegoodbeerseal.com. You can find us on Facebook and uh, Twitter us at, at beer underscore sessions. Hey, so thanks to Steve, Marty, Jay, Chris, and, and uh, Jim Barnes for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Carlos Salguero, and Brio Connor, and guest coordinator, Mr. Brett Bretonias Brett Thompson. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Cheers to Ray Dieter. Cheers. To the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.